All right, as we're beginning, everyone in the back, Gerald, can y'all hear us back there well? Yeah, good. All right. In his groundbreaking book, How to Be Miserable, 40 Strategies That You Already Use, Randy Patterson argues that though many people have created SMART goals, you know what SMART goals are? You know, the, the specific, measurable, action-oriented, realistic, and time-defined goals. SMART, right? We got that? People have created those. Why do that? Why create SMART goals? Why be bound to results, right? Instead, he argues, the best way to be miserable, you know, everyone's goal, seemingly, in life, uh, is to have vapid goals, vapid goals. And so vapid would be, let, let's make vague, amorphous, pie-in-the-sky, irrelevant, and delayed goals. So vague, you know, you, you should be unclear uh, on how you're going to complete your goal. If, if you want to go cross-country skiing, uh, you should forget all about looking into lessons on how to go cross-country skiing. Uh, you, you, should, you should not consider how to get to there, uh, to, to, to Colorado or wherever you may be going. And then you can ensure that you now have uh, a miserable experience. You're not sure how to get there. You're not sure uh, what it takes to do that. You're not even sure what you should be, wear, be wearing in, in this process. And so you, you can now all of a sudden uh, take this uh, this goal that is so far out there, and you, your depressive self can disqualify any progress that you've made in attaining that goal, all right? And then you have the pie-in-the-sky goal, and this is one of my favorite parts of this. Pie-in-the-sky, make sure your goals are so unattainable and indulge your innate ability to overestimate what you can do. Say today, I will paint the entire house... I will revamp my company's finances, and with the ensuing failure, you will be able to beat yourself up about your incompetence, all right? And then there's irrelevant, and then finally, to make sure that your goals are vapid, make sure they're delayed. Uh, avoid setting any specific time frame uh, for the completion of your goal. Uh, instead, resolve to get to work the moment you feel like it, right? So obviously, this book is, is satire. Um, and, but I think it has the pulse of, of our modern-day struggles. How many of you struggle with, with always having more to do in your day than is physically possible for a human being to accomplish? I feel like that's most of us, right? Like, how many of you look at your life and you just always feel tired, always feel rushed, always feel busy, well, today, Genesis 2 is for you. Today, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're looking at the last day of creation, day 7. Last week, we talked about the Imago Day. This week, we're going to look at the Imitatio Day, the imitation of God. And, and we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to look at the pattern, the problem, and the promise. The pattern, the problem, and the promise. Well, as I said, we're, we're, we're still in the, the earliest days of, of the universe, right? We've just spent three sermons talking about uh, and taking a slow walk through creation. And remember how, remember how God has this rhythm to how he creates the world. 
God said, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was, and it was good. Let there be, and there was, and it was good. It was almost like a drumbeat. You, you could bounce your head to this creation. It had a groove to it. And then last week, that groove picked up. And God said, let us make men and women in our image. And then he says at the end of the day, and all of creation is very good. Right? That, that, it, was, it was very good. And yet, there is still one more day of creation. And so, like, what's he going to do next? Everything's been building and building and building. What's going to happen on day seven, the last day of creation? What's he going to do to go past men and women? Is he going to make Ultron? Like, you know, he's saving the best for last. All right, here, what it is. It's a day of rest. Huh? What? <laughs> Verse two. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all that work that he had done. Is it wild to think that God rested? I mean, this is like one of those conversations that you have late at night. You just, just want to like philosophically think about this. Like, does God rest? Does God get tired? Does he sweat? Like, what, what is happening here? Like, after, is it like he, after a long day of doing yard work, he comes inside, he just needs a nice cold uh, cup of water? No, that's, that's not happening here. I don't believe that. Uh, every act of creation was done by the word of his power. It, it, it shows that it's not that he's striving. He just, just speaks it into existence. And so let there be, and there was. And then when it comes to making man and women, he says, and let us make... Yes, yes he, he is making something here, but, but the emphasis isn't on how hard it was to create, but on how sweet and good everything is. And so, no, the rest, the, the, this rest isn't a, a rest from hard work. It is a rest in a poetry line. It, it's a rest like in a song. It's a rest uh, in the sense of like a, in a beat. Why do, why do poets give you breaks in lines? The silence forces you to return to what came before it. Let me say that again for that very same reason. The silence forces you to return to what came before it. And so God creates this, this whole world with, with Saturn rings and flying fish and honeycombs and eyelashes. And now on the seventh day, God is giving a rest to take in all that he's created and to just enjoy it. And, and it is to say, let, let, me, let, me, let me marinate in what I created. And then later when God was giving the, tenth, the Ten Commandments, he roots his fourth commandment in the pattern of creation. So just as God worked six days and rests on the seventh, he says, so too shall you. This is the pattern of creation. On that day, you shall rest or Sabbath. And to Sabbath means to cease or to desist. And so God puts on his finishing touches on creation, and he rests not from exhaustion, but to step back and to take it all in. And so too, we, we as image bearers, right? We're, we're reflectors of God's image. We are, we are to imitate that work and rest rhythm of life. And so the Israelites would, would typically work from sun up to sundown, Friday evening till Saturday evening as their Sabbath. 
But as Malcolm said earlier, when Christ came and, and was raised again on the third day, that this day shifted to Sunday. But, but don't miss this. Still, all of this is happening before sin enters the world. And so the Sabbath is seen as something that will be happening all the time. It was, it was a gift to God's creation. Why? Well, because have you heard of Parkinson's Law? Parkinson's Law is the old adage that, that your work expands to fill the time that you allow it to have. You see this to be true in your life, that your work expands to fill the time that you allow it to have. Put simply, the amount of work required for any given deadline adjusts to the amount of time that you give it. So if I say I have a Thursday deadline to be done with all my work, I'm forced to be done with my work by Thursday, and, and, but when that happens, that I'm done on Thursday. When I say that's my deadline, I'm done. If you were writing uh, a, an, an article and you said I, it's, it's due next week, I'll be done next week. If, I, if it's due in six months, I'll be done with it in six months. Your work expands to that. But for me, when I say I'm done by Thursday and I'm trying to take Friday as my Sabbath, what happens if I say, well, if I need to use Friday, if I need to expand it a little bit, what happens? Every single time I have to work on Friday. In confession, as I'm writing my sermon on the Sabbath, I'm finishing it on Friday, on my Sabbath. Oh, the irony. The Lord is going to judge me. Oh. <laughs> our work, our work balloons to fill whatever space that we give it. And the Sabbath gives you these weekly breaks in the week to actually pause, to step back, and to rest, and to see all that you've created, all that you've done throughout the week, and, and, and all that you've worked it on, and to say, I now I can appreciate it. I can look back and go, that was good. Just like the Lord looked back at all he created and said, that was good. It can help you step back and appreciate the bigger picture, the bigger things in life. And so that's the pattern. But the, the problem comes in when we look at this pattern, uh, this, this ideal, and we just realize that, like me, our lives in no real way mirror that pattern. I mean, in, in, in some sense, this idea of, of, of a Sabbath is, is accepted by our culture, but, but in another sense, it's completely archaic to our culture. Like, why be unproductive? There are things to do in the week, right? Why waste time? I mean, just, just try telling a college student that they can't study on Sunday afternoons. Whew. You'll get some dirty looks. For everyone, everywhere, the hustle, the grind, it's calling. There's more to do. There's always more to do. We, we live in the most workaholic culture in the history of the world. Did you know that? That we live in the most workaholic culture in the history of the world. Like, rest, <laughs> that's for the weak. I literally said those words to my wife. <laughs> she asked me, why don't you take a nap? And yeah, my body needs it. Yeah, that seems like that would be good for me. But I said, naps, naps are for the weak. <laughs> I will not waste my time taking a nap. It, naps are just very unproductive. But why? Why do I have to be productive? That, that's a deeper question, and we'll get to that later. But, but Sabbath... 
doesn't feel like a gift that God's intended for us. The Sabbath, it almost feels oppressive to us. Yes? Like, I mean, we can think of like the Puritan blue laws. You guys have, heard, have read about those maybe? They, they were su- named supposedly because of the color of paper that they were printed on. But the Puritans required, required attendance at church. And they punished anyone who got there with unseemly haste or on too showy a horse. <laughs> they, they would forbid, forbid any recreation on the Sabbath. Frisbee, soccer, out. Any recreation, walking in the park, out. They ate only what had been cooked in advance and devoted all their time not spent in church to reading scripture. That sounds like a lot of our Sabbaths, right? Right? Yeah. Well, let's go, let's get into the, in the at least in the last hundred years. In the last hundred years, still, football and other sports would never, ever be played on Sunday. Like, banks were closed on, during the weekend, and so if you wanted money for the weekend, you had to go to a bank on Friday and get your money out. Most restaurants were closed on the Sabbath. And so, thankfully, we've moved on as a culture, right? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I mean, think of what we replaced these forms with. The, the hyper-strict Sunday has been replaced with the overscheduled Sunday. Yes? Like... The, the, the hyper-strict Sunday has been replaced with soccer Sunday, or Little League Sunday, or homework Sunday, or catch-up around the house Sunday. Our Sabbaths have become more exhausting than our work days. And so, I mean, how many of you have a hard time on vacations and just turning off? That, 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 that's a hard thing, right? Like, it's really hard to just stop and turn off your work brain. Like, you may be sitting at home with your feet up, but everyone else is working, <laughs> and it's this weird FOMO. Like, many times vacations are exhausting because the work doesn't stop just because we take off time. It, it, it just builds for when we get back. And so even though we're maybe vacationing, we're thinking about all that work that we should be doing. And so we think we've evolved as, as a culture. With the invention of smartphones and, and, and laptops and Zoom, I mean... <laughs> How we can work from anywhere. What a joy. What a joy that I can work from home. And at times it is, right? It, it, is, it is nice, you know, with these Zoom meetings. You know, I got, the, I got the nice shirt up top. I got the sweatpants on bottom. It's like the 2020 mullet business up top, party in the back, right? There we go. You got it? Okay. <laughs> and yet, Parkinson's law holds true. Does anyone feel more rested than they did before? Does anyone feel more rested since they are able to work from home or less? Of course it's less. By allowing you to work from anywhere means you work everywhere. You take your work with you everywhere. And so I used to laugh and scoff at these Puritans at how crazy legalistic their rules were. And some of them truly, truly were over the top. But the most workaholic culture in the world need not raise their noses at any attempt to curb this fixation with the idol of work. 
Why? Because remember the Sabbath, it, it, it's a gift. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you from, from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you see what... Do you see what the writer of Deuteronomy just said there? He connected honoring the Sabbath with their liberation from Egypt. The, the reason you're obeying the Sabbath, Sabbath forever is because you've been freed from slavery. Or put it another way, I liberated you from slavery. Why go back and be a slave to anyone else? I mean, think about it. A, a slave never has time off, never has vacations, never gets a day of rest, and so anyone who can't put down their work is a slave. You're a slave to it, a slave to success, a slave to the money, a slave to the power, a slave to the appearance. And so Sabbath theology is really liberation theology. It's a weekly reminder of what God has delivered you from. You're free. Now rest. And that brings us to the promise of the Sabbath. Pete Scazzaro is a pastor and an author. And he was talking to a friend who is a clinical psychologist. And Pete was, was, was frustrated with pastors. Pastors can be the worst, right? He was frustrated with pastors and ministry leaders. Because they would say to Pete, I love what you're telling me about the Sabbath and rest but they would never, ever change their ways. My wife is pointing at me right now. <laughs> this is a confessional sermon. And his friend replies, Oh, Pete, they can't stop. He says, Christian leaders aren't any different than lawyers and CEOs and marketplace leaders I see in my office every single day. What are you talking about, Pete says? These folks are pastors and church leaders. They know Christ. And he says, no, Pete, you don't get it. They can't stop. If they stop, they'll die. They're terrified. They're frightened to death of what they'll see inside themselves if they slow down. And, and, and you want them to immerse themselves in things like solitude and Sabbath and silent reflection? Do you have any idea how foreign this idea is for any leader, Christian or not? If they stop, they'll die. Why? Because they're terrified of something lurking beneath the surface. Shame. Shame. What is, what is shame? Shame is that feeling of, of being fundamentally flawed, defective, unworthy, and deficient in some way as a human being. And so guilt is about something I do. If I ran a red light, you know, okay, that was a mistake. Shame, on the other hand, is about who I am. I didn't just make a mistake when I read the red light. Shame says I am a mistake. I'm such an idiot. I'm awful. 
I'm a fraud. Shame testifies not to wrongdoing, but to a flawed being. And, and we think as, as long as we just can keep busy, we can outrun that internal voice that says things like, I'm never good enough. I'm never smart enough. I'll never be perfect enough. I'll never be successful enough. This is why when someone asks you, how are you doing? Our go-to answer is always, I'm busy. I'm busy. And we, we are. We're overworked. We're stretched too thin, juggling so many things that, that more than physically impossible to do in, in an actual day. All for the sake of saying, I'm good enough. Why? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we kill ourselves with this? We want to be able to say that I matter. I have value. And in, in a you-are-what-you-do world, that makes sense. But you are not what you do. The promise of the Sabbath is that you aren't working to justify your existence. You're God's creation. You're, you're God's creation. You're, you're the good thing that he rested to enjoy. We rest because God rests on the seventh day. We rest to remind ourselves that there is more to us than just what we do during the week. You are more than what you do during the week. There is more to you than that. How can you truly rest? You have to believe deep, deep down that the same God who created the heavens and the earth created you and he delights in you. That's what squelches the shame that is always bubbling up under the surface. You're not a mistake. And the cross proves it. The cross proves his love and his care for you. One of the reasons we, we got palm branches for those kids here today. If you have your palm branch, we want you to grab that and to feel that. One, one of the reasons we did this on Palm Sunday is especially we wanted to give these to kids because at a young age, when we really start to formulate our view of ourselves, am I good enough? Do I matter? Does anyone love me? Does God love me? We wanted them to feel the branches. We want them to, to touch them and to let these branches be a, be a physical reminder of Hosanna in the highest. The palm branch represents the goodness and the, and the victory. It was a, is a symbolic of the final victory that he would soon fulfill over death. And when Jesus entered that last week of his life, they threw the palm branches down and shouted Hosanna, which is a shout of praise or adoration, meaning it's coming, it's here, salvation's here. And Jesus tells us in Mark 2, that he is the Lord. He is that king. It is here, but he's the Lord, and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. And so one of the greatest blessings of the gospel is that it gives you rest that no one else will. Only, Christ can, can, only in Christ can you find that deep, deep rest. Why? Because he died and rose again. Yes, yes, Easter is next week, but the resurrection is the reason for the hope of the Sabbath. And every week is, is Easter Sunday to us. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. The Sabbath isn't just about recharging your batteries physically so that you can be more productive during the week. 
It's, it's about true rest and shalom that's found in Jesus. And so if the cause of our incessant busyness is shame, then the only way to find true rest is to find a cure for that shame. And on the cross, Jesus cuts that shame out of you like a surgeon. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're flawed. Yes, we've blown it. But Jesus. Love those two words. But Jesus. But Jesus died for your sins. And the resurrection tells us that God accepts his payment. He accepted his payment in full. There is no more wrath to satisfy. There is no more debt to be paid. It is paid in full. And so you have no more shame. Jesus is your shame killer. There is a deep, deep rest because, of, because who we are is now made right with God. And that rest will go on for eternity. For eternity. We, we get to rest in, in God's love for us. For eternity, we get to enjoy the spoils of Christ's work. And so it's because he worked that we can rest. Because he worked and lived the perfect lie, died the death for us, and rose for us, we can rest in him. And so by observing the Sabbath, we are now practicing eternity in time. Let's get practical. I think this is one of those areas that the church is just, just woefully ignorant on, or maybe we, we fumbled away, or we, we, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to make the Sabbath an, an end unto itself, Jesus tells us that the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. It, it, it's for your benefit. But how this plays out, a lot of times we just then say, okay, we forget it. We don't want to do that. But I also want to give you so many to-dos. Here's how you honor your Sabbath. Because it's very personal and very subjective to your situation. Another qualifier. There are times and seasons that this is just a really difficult thing to, to find and to, and to work for. Like, for instance, planting a church. <laughs> there's a lot of work early on that won't always be here. Starting a new business. There's a lot of work early on that won't always be there. Um, maybe you're in your doctoral work that won't always be this way. Maybe you're a parent of young children. It won't always be this way. It won't always be this hard. There are seasons of life that we have to realize won't last forever that require a little bit more work and it's harder to find that rest. However, if we don't commit to anything, we'll have nothing for the Sabbath, right? If we don't commit to weaving something into our weekly routine, then, then we've just left one bad doctrine for another. And so, so how do you honor the Sabbath in 2021? Let me give you four things, and I got these from that, from that guy, Pete Scazzaro. And, and these four things are stop, Rest, delight, and contemplate. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. What do I mean? Well, stop work. <laughs> Pretty clear. Um, as we said earlier, th th this can be extremely difficult for workaholics amongst us. I don't know who those are. But, but, but to be biblical, you need to commit at least one day a week, 24-hour period, to be different than the rest of your week. Now, some of you might ask, well, I take three hours here on this day, and I'll take five hours on this day, and so together, uh, and I'll add some other hours here. No, 
Um, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's, it's like your, your sleep. You, you need it together. You need, to, you need it all together to have that deep REM, to have that actual rest uh, for your body to truly rest. And so one full day of no work, and since we're prone to take work home with us, I think some other qualifiers might be um, one day and then at, at most or at least three nights a week of rest with no other work commitments. Now, as I said, this is kind of a confessional sermon. Um, <laughs> I'm terrible at all of this, um, and so I feel like a hypocrite, but this is the word of God that I'm preaching through, and it's preaching to me, and I'm preaching it to myself, and so if you struggle here, you're in good company, but for all the reasons we just said before, resting helps us recognize, it helps me recognize that we'll never be able to finish all of those goals that we have in our minds, all of those projects, and if, and if we truly want to be miserable, then let's just give ourselves wholly over to that never-ending to-do list. Or stop and confess that he's God, I'm not. And so first, stop. Second, rest. And now this, this is really important, I think. Not just to not stop, but, but to engage in activities that, that restore and replenish us. Uh, and so, yes, napping can be a good thing. Hiking reading. I, for me, sometimes, I, 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 as a pastor, I read, and I'm thinking of how I can apply this in Bible study or in a sermon or whatnot, and so for me, reading comic books. Thank you, Robert, for, for giving me comic books out of, out of nowhere, <laughs> randomly. I, that really does help me rest. Um, and so, reading, whatever that may be for you, um, eating good food, I mean, all these things. Writer Ju Judith Shulovitz, who was writing for the New York Times said, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily, the way you might slip into bed at the end of a long day. As the cat in the hat says, it is fun to have fun, but you have to know how. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional, requiring extensive advanced preparation. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate insight that, that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will. Is that refreshing to you? To me, maybe you didn't get it all. Maybe you have to read it. But to me, that... That was really refreshing because when I think rest, I think stopping work, I think, oh, no, that's going to stress me out. <laughs> like when, when, when I hear that rest actually involves some activity that, that, that you enjoy, that replenishes you, I think, oh, okay, that's good. Now my mind's not going to go crazy. My rest needs to be some type of activity like that. And so for me, maybe reading a comic book, going on a date with Kristen, maybe playing games with my boys. Again, I want this to not be strict rules. This goes into your personality. So, so if you're an extrovert, you know, being around other people could be recharging. But if you're an introvert, that sounds utterly draining to do some of those things. And so you rest when you're alone. We get it. Uh, and so you know yourself and how you can rest. And, and so just plan ahead for that. Um, then delight. So we talked about stop. We talked about rest. And now delight. As we just said, according to the Bible, the Sabbath is about more than just taking time off. After creating the world, God looked around and said that it, it was very good, 
and he delighted in it for a whole day. And so God did not just cease from, from his labor. He stopped and he enjoyed what he made. And so what does this mean for us? Uh, I think that could mean enjoying some good food. So looking at God's creation, enjoying his creation. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things that I've done that's been helpful is we smoke meat with our smoker. Um, and one, it forces me to slow down because it takes a long time. But two, it gives me some of the best food in the world. <laughs> and so delight in the goodness of some food um, or creation in general. Go outdoors, go fishing, see what God has done. And so delight in his creation by looking at, looking at his creation, seeing it, looking at his image bearers, caring for his image bearers through works of mercy, caring for the sick. What, what a great way to spend the Sabbath, caring for widows and honoring the poor. Last thing contemplate contemplate now now we want you to ponder the love of god on your sabbath and so all that we said before is just natural and good for human beings in general because we're that's just what our bodies need but we're not just bodies we're bodies and souls we need that deep deep rest and 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 to find the rest under the rest the rest that kills our shame and gives us hope because when we get to heaven you know we're going to rest for eternity, right? Now, no, that doesn't mean that we won't work. That doesn't mean we'll tend gardens. It doesn't mean uh, that we won't create beautiful things. I think we will do those things. But it means that we'll have an eternal resting in Jesus, that he is enough. And so weekly, we need to contemplate this because we're so quick to forget it. I mean, as, as, think about it. As soon as someone criticizes you, as soon as someone judges you, or as soon as someone looks down on you, how quick are you to forget that rest that he's offered to us? And you now feel that, that shame bubbling up, and you've got to work to, to squelch it. Weekly, we want to contemplate the goodness of our creator, redeemer. Rabbi Elijah Vilna put it, put it this way. God stopped to show us that what we create becomes meaningful to us only when we stop creating it and start to think about why we did so. The implication is clear. We could let the world wind us up and set us to marching like mechanical dolls that, that go and go until they fall over because they don't have a mechanism that allows them to pause, but that would make us less than human. We have to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. We have to remember to stop and to pause so that we can actually stop and remember, remember who we are. Remember the love and care of the creator of the world that he has for you. Remember that he's liberated you from the power of sin, just as he, he freed the Israelites from Egypt. Remember that, he, remember that God would take a full day off of work just to spend it with you. Think of how beautiful that is. That God would take a full day off to spend it with you because he loves and he cares for you. And now let's remember this command to imitate that rest forever, to never be slaves to our work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.